The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning. Happy Father's Day for those of you that are dads. Um, I have a real passion for fathers, and so I was excited to be asked to speak on Father's Day. Uh, It's great to be able to speak to people that I can see your faces instead of just talking into a camera so I can tell how I'm doing. If I'm getting a little boring, I can realize I better pick it up. Um, You know, when I think of dads, you dads, you play a huge role in your children's lives. Um, Whether you like it or not, that's just the way it is. They see you 24-7, and they watch you, and they learn from you. Uh, Children look up to their dads, which means... Dads, we have an incredible opportunity to pour into these little ones' lives, to be a positive influence in their lives. Uh, And when you think about it, our children really are our first disciples. They're the ones, a disciple is a learner, a student learner, and, and our children are learning from us all the time. And so they're really our first disciples. And this morning, I want to give four points in helping us as dads, and really it's going to help all of us, on what it is to make little disciples that God has given us in our lives. Um, You know, one of the blessings of being able to fill the pulpit here at Heritage occasionally is that I have lots of time to prepare. Normally, you know, when I was in ministry full-time, you have a week to get your sermon. Well, I have weeks to prepare. And that gives me lots of time to think through and, and come up with stuff. But one of the drawbacks of having lots of time is you come up with way too many points. And so it's like now it's like, okay, God, help me to choose wisely. Uh, What are the points I'm going to focus on today? May they be the right ones uh, in order to stay within the time parameters, which actually they never gave me any time parameters. Um, There's some clock back there, but I don't know what that means. Um, So the first thing I want to say right off the bat is that though my focus is on dads, almost every point, every point I'll be making will apply not only to dads, but to every one of us here. Uh, So if you're not a dad, don't check out on me thinking, oh, I got this Sunday off, this is for dads only, I don't have to listen to this. No, 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 no. Um, We're going to be looking into the Word. Hopefully you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be inspired from the truths that we will learn from our passages we're going to look at today. Now, last week, I was impressed with Jeremy that he covered two whole chapters of Acts on one Sunday. So I thought, well, that gives me the right to do more than one chapter on a Sunday. So I'm going to do Genesis 12 through 20 today. Um, uh, We're not going to read it. Don't worry. We'll spend the whole time reading if I did that. I'm just going to look at selected uh, passages, going to talk about the story a little bit, um, because I want to look at uh, For Father's Day uh, at Abraham's life from a dad's perspective. And what can we learn from Abraham uh, and what he did, uh, both the good and the, and the not so good. So I'd like you to turn there to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we're going to get there in a minute here. I'll go ahead and turn there as well. I want to make a few more comments before we actually start looking at the passage. I brought with me uh, something that uh, I will be referring to throughout the message that um, hopefully will help us, and is this object here. See what this is? This is a sponge. Um, This is what our children are, are they not? They're little sponges. Uh, A sponge absorbs any moisture that is poured into it. It just sucks it up. 
And that's what our children do. They suck up everything that we model to them, everything that we say to them, uh, the example that we are to them. Um, Dads, your life serves as moisture to your children. They watch you. They listen to you. They see what you do, how you respond, how you act, what you say to people, what you do with your time, what you do with your money. They see it all, and they absorb it. Now, the thing I love about this sponge it is, is that it has another side, and that side is the scrub pad. Now, all of us know as parents that children are not always soft and moist and comfortable, but they have that other side to them, that scrub pad side. The Bible would call that the sin nature. And... When this comes out, let's just say that parenting becomes uh, very challenging. Um, And we see this throughout our children's lives. Whether it's the soft side or, oh boy, here comes the scrub pad side. And what am I going to do about this? How am I going to deal with this? Um, Our desire is, and this morning as I talk, is we want to be a positive, more of a positive influence in our children's life then their scrub pad side is an influence upon us. And sometimes it, it doesn't go that way, right? Sometimes eh, they seem to be getting to me more than I want to. Um, and that's the reality of, of being a parent. And I think all of us parents can share stories about times when the children, the child scrubs us the wrong way. And it doesn't go well, and we did not respond in the right way. Um, my children, I have three children, can share a few stories with you. The good news is they're all hundreds of miles away uh, in Colorado and Texas and Minnesota, so they're not here to give testimony, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, so let's look at Genesis chapter 12. We'll start there, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and we'll go from there. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of earth, in all the families of earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they, came, uh, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak tree, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. I'm going to stop there. The first thing I want us to see about Abraham here, uh, and actually his name doesn't get changed to Abraham till chapter 17, so... I'll probably make mistakes. I'll call him Abraham sometimes, Abraham other times, but it's the same guy. Um, So uh, what I want us to see here is that he was chosen by God. God comes to him, speaks to him, says, have chosen you, take some of your family and and go. Why? Why did God choose this 75-year-old man uh, to be his representative, to be the forefather of the people of Israel? to be the one whom all the families, it says, of the earth will be blessed by. Why does he choose Abraham? Why him? What does God tell us about that? 
Well, let me just give you one verse. James 1.18 says this. Of his own will, speaking of God, he brought us forth by the word of truth. It was just God's desire. It was his decision. He says, no, you're the man. It's all God's choosing. It had nothing to do with Abraham. It doesn't say that, well, Abraham was such a great guy. Um, It doesn't say he had incredible gifts and talents that God said, oh, man, I I need Abraham on my side. This guy's amazing. No. Simply said, God chose him. Said, you're going to be my guy. And this forever changed Abraham's life. Ever changed the direction his life went in after that. Think about it. Likewise, when we are chosen by him, when God reveals himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ, when we come to see our sin and need for forgiveness and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, when we do that, we are forever changed. And that's because God has chosen us and he decided to open our heart to the truths of God's word. And we don't know why. But likewise, this leads me to, the, to our first point. Dads, your children need to see your heart, who you are in Christ, a man of God chosen by him. This is your primary identity. You are a man of God, which means God is at the core of who you are. Your children do not have to wonder, does dad know God? Uh, Does he love God? Is he committed to him? Because they see it in your life. They see how you live, how you talk, your values, how you lead the family. It is your identity that you are a man of God. Which is so much more than saying, I'm a Christian. Or that, well, this time in my life I prayed to receive Christ. No, I'm talking about a life that is lived for the King of Kings, for the Lord of Lords. A life that is surrendered to Him. Where your core identity is, I am a man of God. That is who I am. Men, it it can be easy to fall into the thinking that our identity is found in what we do. Our jobs, what we accomplish, what we can do with our hands. I mean, we like accomplishing. We like doing things. We we like tasks. And we can make the mistake of of letting that trick us to think, well, that's my identity. I I do this or I do that. That is not your identity. That's not what matters to your children. No, your children need to see a man of God. A man who loves God. A man who is committed to God. This is what matters to them. That their dad loves God. That their dad knows God. That he lives for God. That he leads his family by a godly example, by the choices he makes that flows out of his love relationship with the King of Kings. That's what these little sponges in our life need to see from their dad. So dads, don't take lightly the fact that you've been chosen by God. It's the moisture of your faith that these little sponges in your life need to absorb. First and foremost, there will be times when you have to explain to your child the reason your family doesn't do certain things. 
when everyone else around them does and their friends. Well, my friends do this and they, this family does that. How come we don't get to do that? And that's your time when you say, well, son or daughter, it's because we belong to God. And those are values and those are things that God does not value, that are not good, that are not right. We don't live by the world's standard, but we're committed to the things of God. That's why we're not going to do that. That's, not why I'm, that's why I'm not going to allow this into my home. Because we put God first. Because we love Him. And He's done it all for us. And we're going to honor Him in our household, first and foremost. What does that do to that child who hears that and sees it lived out? Who absorbs that, saying, wow, God's real to my dad. Makes a difference in choices that he makes. So when things like Black Lives Matter comes up, you talk about how God created all human beings. They're precious in His sight. doesn't matter what color they are. We're all equal. All people need to be treated with dignity, with respect, and as equals. We don't see color, but we see the souls of people that God has created, whom God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's what our children need to see communicated in our lives in our actions in our values when it's Sunday morning the children need to see dad leading the charge to go to church not because we have to, because we're good Christians. Not because we want to impress others by attending often so they'll think good things of us. Or just because that's what we do, we just go to church. But we go because God has done it all for us. We go because without Jesus Christ, we would have no hope. We go because... Jesus has called us to himself and because of that we have a living relationship with him. All our sins have been forgiven and we're going to spend eternity with him and that's the least we can do for God. And it's a way for us to go and express our love and appreciation to God. We go to church because we want to. Because we get to. We get to sing songs to him. We get to hear and learn more from his word. We get to fellowship with other believers. And there's no greater privilege and honor to be able to go to church and worship Him together. I want us to take note here in these first seven verses of Genesis when He called Abraham. They not only called Him, but He also gave Him a promise that he would bless him in future generations through him. And think about this. The same thing happens to us or happened to us when we came to know Christ. God gave us promises. He not just called us to himself, but he promised so many things to us. Think about it. He promised us when we came to know him that his love will never fail, will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We will be with him forever. We will receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit we are adopted into the family of God. All our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, paid for on the cross. 
one day we will receive a resurrected body and spend eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. That's just some of the promises that God gave us once he called us to himself. Now, dads, I, I want to share something from my heart here, and it's much easier to share when you're not the pastor of the church. I have seen this time and time again in families over the 30-plus years that I've been a pastor. So please take to heart what I share next. If going to church merely becomes one of many options each week, and your family only goes when it's convenient, when we don't have something more fun to do, or when the weather is bad and we can't go to the lake, or we think once or twice a month is plenty. What this pours into that child's heart is that God is optional. That we come first. God is for convenience and only when we have time for him or feel like it. I don't share this to make anyone feel guilty. That's not what I'm here for. But I share it from experience and seeing families that do raise their kids like this and then their families, when when the kids become adults, they don't care about God because my family really didn't care much about him just whenever we wanted to. And they saw that. It doesn't matter what they said. It's what they did. So I just share that with you. Your children are soaking up more what we do rather than what we say. So what are we doing? Okay, that's about as uncomfortable as it's going to get, okay? (laughs) Men of God, may you find your identity in him and him alone. Live worthy of your calling. What is more important for your children than for them to see a man of God, a dad who loves God, who lives for him, who honors him, who makes sacrifices for his family for the glory and honor of God? Knowing that God has called him. Knowing that he's going to be with God forever. And there's nothing better for those little sponges to absorb than the life of a dad who is a man of God. And they'll soak it up for the glory of God. Amen. He is your identity. And that is true for all of us. Secondly, Dads, we need to be men who have experienced and not just know the grace of God. I don't know about you, but one of the things that always bugged me about Abraham is what he did to his wife, saying his wife was his sister. Now, she was his half-sister, and then how he slept with Hagar to have a child since Sarah was still barren. I don't know about you, but that bugs me. It's okay to be bugged by things in the Bible. It's it's okay. Um, You don't have to like everything you read in the Bible. We need to yield to it and recognize God's God and, and uh, we need to obey Scripture, but we don't have to necessarily like all the stories. I, I don't like this part in Abraham's life. So let's look at these accounts and let me rant a little bit about it, okay? And then we'll get to the core of what I believe we need to take away from Abraham and what he did here. Genesis 12, 10 through 16. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. 
verse 11, Genesis 12. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and she's around 65 years old here. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, they may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Okay. How are you feeling now about old Abraham? Let me ask you this, men. How do you think your wife would respond if you tried this with them? Think that would go over too well? Ah. I don't think it would go over too well in my family. I don't know about you. Uh, What kind of man is this? Come on. Abraham, don't wimp out on me. Trust in God. Now we can say, well, it's young in his faith. I mean, this is right at Genesis 12. Okay. How about Genesis 20? Let's go to Genesis. Let me just read Genesis 22. We're well along in his journey. Verse 2, Genesis 20. He's in the territory of Negev in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Oh my goodness, he's done it again. It's like, what is wrong with you? Now, an interesting point here. Isaac hasn't been born yet. Yet look what Isaac does with his wife in Genesis 26, verses 6 and following. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Now we're back in the same area we just read. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. So don't marry someone who's attractive. No. Um, Now, Isaac wasn't around then, right? Do you think maybe he heard the stories? I think so. It was passed along to him from his dad's example in hearing the stories. Did the same thing. Now, let's look at Genesis 16. I'm still ranting a little bit more, okay? One and two. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant who was named Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram lived ten, so after Abram lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Now, it was actually legal custom back in this day uh, for a barren woman to be able to give her maid to her husband to be his wife, and the child born to her would then be re- regarded as the first wife's child. The big problem with I have with this is Abram has already been spoken to at least five times by God up to this point that he is going to have, that God is going to provide for him, an heir. In fact, just in Genesis 15, he does this whole covenant thing with him and promises that it's going to come from you, this child. And yet here he is in the next chapter 
doing this with Sarai's servant? How many times does God have to remind him that he's going to do it? Now let's continue reading as the story goes on. It gets real interesting here. So the mistress looks with contempt on Sarai. And Sarai said to Abraham, verse 5, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt, dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So in the words of Dr. Phil, how's this working out for you? Uh, not too good. Not too good. Um, golly, I look at these struggles. And, and now, let's look at what it says about Abraham in the New Testament. Okay? First in Hebrews 11. The great passage on faith, people of faith. Let me read to you what it says about Abraham. I'm going somewhere, this, this, trust me. Verse 8, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed. I'm going to read through verse 12. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that, was found, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as innumerable grains of sand at the seashore. Nothing is mentioned of the struggle he had here, is there? What's up with that? Just a thought. Uh, Romans 4. How about Romans 4? Let's look at Romans 4 because it talks about Abraham there. Romans 4, verses 1 through 3. What then shall they say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. Again, there's nothing said about Abraham's struggle. Just that he believed, he was righteous, but what's going on here? What about the struggle? Okay, now here's where I'm going to flip on you, okay? So you ready for the flip? I've been looking at it from what I saw in Abraham's life. Don't like what I saw in Abraham's life. Now I'm going to flip it to God and what this tells us about him. Given all Abraham's struggles here, and what it says about God is with bright, glowing lights, he is a gracious God. Abraham experienced the grace of God over and over again in his life. Anyone, anyone who says, oh no, the New Testament's about grace, the Old Testament's about law, no. The whole Bible is about grace, the grace of God. And here we see the grace of God towards Abraham. Now, if it was me, I would have given Abraham a good talking to the first time he sold out his wife, right? And then when he takes his wife's servant, oh my goodness, he needs another good chewing out, doesn't he? And then in Genesis 20, he does it again. Oh my goodness, you need to sit him down and he needs to hear the riot act one more time. 
right? But God says nothing. The grace of God. Several years ago, one of my children, when they were in high school, spent the night in a college dorm in California during the summer for a tournament their team was competing in. There were no students there. Um, and as a result of this visit, my child came home with lice. Never seen lice before, but I became very familiar with what lice looked like. I became the chief nitpicker in the family. With my headlamp on, picking out little nits, the lice eggs and then the lice painstaking process. And the more hair you have, the more challenge it is. But you know what? As long, and I'm a meticulous guy, and it didn't matter how long I spent and how many of those little nits I picked out, man, the next day there were more. I could not get ahead of them. There was always more. Isn't that kind of like our sin? You know, it's not like, okay, finally, today's the day I stop sinning. It's, I'm done with it, finally. Wouldn't it be great if we could say that? Wouldn't it be great if you could say that about your kids? You know, when you turn five, you're done sinning. Let's just get that straight, okay? Doesn't work out that way, does it? They continue to let that little scrub pad come out and rub you the wrong way. Oh yeah, I'm all about setting Abraham straight. But you know what? I'm just like him. Oh, I've got my strengths and the things I do well. But then I got those other areas just like Abraham where I wimp out, where I don't do well, where I blow it, where I say or I do the wrong things. I have struggles just like he does, just like he did, just like you do. We all do. And if God was a nitpicker, we would all go around with our heads down. We would all live in shame. We would all feel I'm just worthless, rotten scum. Because God reminds me every dang day all the things I've done wrong. All the things I've said and thought and should have done that I didn't do. If God was a nitpicker, our lives would be miserable. We would feel defeated and worthless. There would be no shame. There would be no joy, but only shame in our lives. I remember hearing one preacher when I was in college say, if you knew all the things I have thought and all the things I have done, you would never listen to me. And he said, if I knew all the things you had done and you had thought, I would never talk to you. And so he's right. My goodness, we all have things that we're ashamed of. But praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ that covers over our sin. He paid the price for our past, present, and future sins. They are all forgiven. I'm not saying it doesn't matter how we live, for it certainly does. The Bible makes that clear. But what I am saying is, dads, as I'm talking to you specifically, we need to experience firsthand the amazing grace of God in our lives personally. This is what Abraham did. Instead of constantly being chewed out by God for his struggles, what God did was continue to remind him again and again of his promises. That I'm still going to work through you. You're still going to have an heir. Nations, peoples will be blessed through you. 
and he experienced the grace of God. Dads, let me ask you this. Have you experienced the grace of God in your life? It's not, I'm not talking about just when you came to know Christ, but I'm talking daily. Are you experiencing the grace of God? Take a moment to think of ways just in the past couple days God could have nitpicked about things in your life. Could have pointed out, yep, there, yep, there, yep, there, yep, there. He could tear you apart. And yet he doesn't. You're forgiven. And it's based on the promises of God's word. You see, the more we experience the grace of God in our lives, the more we be gracious to our children. Don't nitpick them. Yes, teach them. Discipline them when they need it. But don't shame them. God doesn't shame you. Who wants to be shamed? How often have you heard testimony of adults who grew up in very strict families who said, boy, I rebelled from that. No one likes to be nitpicked. But children who experience the grace of God in their households, boy, they soak that up and they thrive. And dads, the way to show that grace is because we are experiencing the grace of God daily in our own lives. So if, if you struggle with that, then take time. If you say, well, I, I'm not very gracious. Well, you're not experiencing the grace of God enough. You need to understand what you have been forgiven. Take time to think about all the ways you have been forgiven. Let it sink into your heart. Let it move you to say, wow, I can't believe you know, God forgave me that and this and that. It's all forgiven. So unworthy, yet through Christ, we are called children of God. So, dads, we've got your identity in Christ as a man of God. Secondly, experiencing the grace of God in your life. Thirdly, we see in the struggles of God, of Abraham. Now let's look at the times he shines. This is a part where you guys, yeah, this is a part I'm waiting for here. I'm going to feel good about myself here. Just because we have struggles and weaknesses doesn't mean there's not good things happening here and we see two accounts i want to look at first in genesis 14 i'll quickly summarize what happens there lots a lot abraham's nephew who went with abraham when god first spoke to him he had to separate and live in different areas because their herds had become too big and so they went different ways lot was living in sodom at the time but then the town was captured lot was taken Pick up the story in Genesis 14, 14 through 16. It says this, When Abraham heard that the kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in the house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants and defeated them and pursued them to Habra, oh my goodness, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all his possessions. So Abraham goes out. He's the warrior. And he goes out and rescues Lot. It's the same guy that was afraid. And now here he is. He's a warrior. Um, he's not afraid. Another time, and I'm going to speed up because if that clock means anything, it tells me I'm running out of time. Um, that uh, remember in the account in Genesis where God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham goes to God and says well will you destroy it if there's 50 righteous people there if there's 20 if there's there's 10 uh, he's interceding for the town for the cities he's interceding for Lot because Lot's living there and he stands up and he's a warrior dads this is what our children need to see from us a warrior is one who rescues and one who protects now I want to be very practical here 
Um, chances are your children are not going to be life-threatened in their home. No one's going to enter into your home with a gun and threaten your kids. You're not going to have to protect them that way. No one's going to seize your children and take them hostage. Probably not going to happen. So how can you be a warrior to your family? Let me say this. What a warrior looks like today as a man of God. A warrior is not one who stirs up war, but helps bring and maintain peace. A warrior brings calm to the home. He has the best interests of the family in mind over his own interests. This is the important point point here. You see, the warrior is not the king, but he works and is enlisted by the king. A huge difference here. Dads, if we operate our households as if we're the king, that's not the biblical standard. That's not what God wants. We operate as warriors who are enlisted by the king which means it's not about me. It's about what's best for my family. See, when dad's the king, the household can become, oh, I've got to be careful not to upset the king. Uh, We've got to do everything to keep dad happy. That's not a warrior. That's a selfish man. Men, as we become dads, we now have little ones we're responsible for. Little ones that need protection from evil. Little ones that see a warrior for God who puts the interests of the family above their own interests. That's what our children need to see. Men who put them first for the glory of God. And you can only do this with God's help. That's why we need Him every day. Because we're talking about dying to self. And our children need to see Dad the warrior, not Dad the king. Dads, I also encourage you to explain to your children why certain things will not be allowed into your home. The fact is, dads, we're responsible for what enters into our home. And if we allow evil in, in the form of movies, in the forms of stuff on internet, now you say, I can only control it so much. You can only control it so much, but you need to control it. You're the one who will be held accountable. You're the warrior. You're the protector of the family. Do not let evil in. Which means sometimes it's going to put you in conflict with your children. Oh, I want to have this. No, we're not allowing this in this household. I am responsible before God for what enters into my home. And I will not allow that. It's not about you, child. It's about me before God. And he will hold me accountable. We need to understand that. The last point, and I'm whipping through here, is they need to see that we are humble. You know, one of the things as I read through the life of Abraham I don't see a prideful man at all. Man, I I don't. All the ranting I did about him, uh, he's a humble guy. You know, he could have said, I'm Abraham. I'm the chosen one. I'm the man. And he was. He was the man. But he doesn't do that. No. Especially in Genesis 13. I'm just going to have time to tell you this. Remember I said they had to separate their herds, uh, separate between Lot and him because their herds had become too big. Herdsmen were were in conflict. What does Abraham do? He's the man. He could say, you know what, Lot, I'm going to live here. You go wherever you want, but I want this land. What does he do? In Genesis 13, he says, you know, Lot, where do you want to go? You choose. I'll take what's left. That's a man of humility. Wow, that's a humble guy. He didn't have to do that. Two more accounts. In Genesis 14, after he rescues Lot and the people of Sodom, 
The king wants to give him all the possessions. He said, no, I don't want the possessions. You know what? I'm before God. I don't want you to take credit for me being wealthy. No, I entrust myself to God. As a humble man. Take none of the spoils. In Genesis 18, where he's bargaining for Sodom and Gomorrah with, in a sense with God, he said, who am I but dust and ashes? A humble man. Although the time has run out, uh, this is, I think, one of the most important points. I firmly believe, dads, that our greatest enemy as a dad is pride. Pride keeps us from admitting when we are wrong. It causes conflict because it insists on its way. How many fights with our wife have arisen because of pride? If we really pull it back and say, oh my goodness, I was being proud there. I can trace most of the conflict with my wife back to pride. Let me give you a couple of quick examples of what humility looks like for a dad. You're driving the car with your children in the back. Guy cuts you off and you let him have it. Oh my goodness. The, the glass is melting in the car. What do you do? Don't have to do anything. I'm the dad. I'm in charge. I'm the king. I don't have to explain myself to my children. They're just children. Yeah, I blew it, but shh, I don't have to explain myself to them. They're just kids. That's pride. A humble man will go to his children after he has calmed down. It doesn't work. Ah, sorry, kids. I shouldn't have said that. No, no. After you've calmed down, you go to your children. Sit them down. Say, you know, kids, you know when the car, when that guy cut me off, and what I said, oh, yeah, Dad, we remember what you said. It's like, oh, yeah, they soaked that right up. You know, Daddy was wrong. Uh, that's not what I want to do. That's not what a man of God does. I sinned against God and I sinned against you by being a bad example. Will you forgive me? I ask God for forgiveness. Will you forgive your dad for doing that? Once your kids pick their jaws off the floor, dad's asking for forgiveness? You know what they'll do? I promise you, they will forgive you instantly. Oh yeah, dad, we forgive you. We love you. The grace of God. A humble man. Do you know how hard that is to do? Oh, speaking from experience. Let me give you an example. Have you lived, if you have parents, where the, the kid's scrub brush is out for weeks? I mean, the kid is rubbing you the wrong way day after day after day, and you respond correctly in a godly manner day after day after day. Then there's that one day you didn't get enough sleep, you ate some lousy food for breakfast, and you snap and you bark that kid's head off. And you realize, oh my goodness. Okay, I messed up once. This kid's been rotten for weeks. I messed up one time. I don't need to say anything. I'm not going to go apologize to this kid. This kid needs to apologize to me every day. And I messed up one time. But I, I remember this happening to me. And God convicted me and said, no, you've got to go apologize. And I, I'm apologizing to what, a three or four-year-old who's been rotten for the last couple weeks. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. I'm going, you know, you know, when Dad, he said, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, Dad got angry. Uh, will you forgive me? Instantly, he forgives me. You see, now he has no resentment towards his dad. Yeah, I was a jerk at that point, but he forgave me. Nothing to rebel against. Dad's being humble. He's being real. He's proving that he's, he makes mistakes too, and he needs to be forgiven. What example are you setting for your children? Oh, 
Oh my, they'll have soaked that stuff up. What it is to ask for forgiveness, to be willing to admit that you make a mistake, to be willing to go to someone and say, will you forgive me? That is the har- one of the hardest things I've had to do as a parent. At least for me it was, because of pride. But it's one of the best things I've ever done. Dads, we need to be humble men. And believe me, you cannot do this in your own strength. If you come and say, okay, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't do it without God's help. I so appreciated Jeremy last week sharing how we need to have those encounters with God. We need those encounters with God to help us to be humble. God's the one who gives us humility. It's not self-manufactured, okay? And that's what our kids need. Dads, we have an awesome privilege to pour into these little sponges that God has given us. You know, we choose our wife, but we don't choose our kids. How many times do you say, God, why this child? Why this trait in this child? You know, I wasn't like this, or I was just like this. Why do I have to go through it now? Again, God knows what we need, right? A great privilege. It's not easy. We're going to make plenty of mistakes, and we've already made plenty of mistakes, but by the grace of God, they'll turn out okay. They'll follow the ways of the Lord if we live by example. If we are growing in what it is to be a man of God, continue to be growing. Our children need to see that we're growing. We're changing. Living out the grace of God in our lives. Living as God's warrior, not as the king of the home. Protecting our families, putting him first, and becoming more and more humble in the process because it is all God who is doing the work. Great opportunity, a great privilege to be a dad. Your children think you're the hero. A hero who still makes mistakes. But that's okay because we have the grace of God. Admit it and let them forgive you. I'm going to close here with a, and this is what Aaron referred to, a, a video, a YouTube that we got permission to show it in here but not on, on the live stream. The live stream, this is a time where you're going to click to the the feed there and watch it because the visual part is the really important part. It's a song you're probably familiar with. Um, I'm going to pray, then we're going to watch this song. I just want to tell you a little bit about the song. It's called The Blessing. It's the blessing. It's the global one. Um, this one, it's out of Numbers and out of Exodus. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. As you watch this video, the reason that... I, it so moved me. It's saying, you're going to see people from all different parts of the world singing this song, Together as One. See, we want God... Does this world need the blessing of God right now? Does the world need God to move in people's hearts? We need the grace of God upon us and to desire that in all people, no matter what they look like. Um, it talks about, may His favor be upon you. And a thousand generations, your family and your children and their children and their children. Dads, you understand, when, when I came to know the Lord when I was in college and God blessed me with a family, I, you know, one of the things I prayed to God, I don't want it to end here with my kids. My desire is that their kids, they'll have kids and they'll raise them up in the ways of the Lord and they'll come to know the Lord and then their children will come to know the Lord. They'll go generation after generation after generation. And that's what the song sings about. And we're doing it together globally human beings who need God. And so, you know, you can sing along if you want or just let it minister and look at the faces of those who are singing saying, you know, all races, all people, and we need the blessing of God. Let me pray and then let's watch the video.
Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a heavenly Father. You are that perfect example. You love us. You've never changed. You've always remained the same. And Lord, we thank you for the life we have in Christ. Father, I pray for dads. It is an awesome privilege and a great responsibility. But Lord, we do it one day at a time. There's always room for growth and improvement. It's not a done deal. Even if we've messed up and we never apologize to our kids, it's not too late to go to them now and say, you know what, this time I did that, and they'll remember, hey, I need to ask forgiveness. That was wrong. And let that healing come into their children's lives. Oh, Father, help dads to be men of God. Help dads to encounter you, to humble themselves, to be warriors and not kings. Oh, Lord, we need you. And as we watch this video, reminded of how we need your blessing. And that blessing is for all people. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.
amen. Hey, Heritage family, look, we were going to sing one more song, but let's just be real. That's probably the best way to end this service that we possibly could. So, hey, we do pray a huge blessing over you guys. Uh, it's something that even in my household that those words have been spoken very much. So we do just pray that the Lord would bless you guys, keep you guys to make his face to shine upon you. We love you very much. Happy Father's Day. Don, thank you again for sharing the word. Uh, as he said, he, he paints on the side and we love when he comes to share with us. So thank you very much. Have a great rest of the day. Kids, do something awesome for your dads. And uh, we love you guys very much. Have a good week. Bye.